There's something about Von Hess. I just You're trying to model like. yourself on him or anything, are you, James? Oh, no, no. I think you try to model Von Hess on me. <laughs> oh! <laughs> You'd have to, sh oh. yeah. Otherwise, you have to shrink two inches. He's only six foot three, isn't he? At least when we were young, and it was like, uh, don't do that. But hey, love everybody. The hippies are here. Let's all take drugs and be happy and end the Vietnam War and everything will be great. The age of Aquarius is coming with the new millennium. And guess what? Carl Jung said that too. Isn't that wonderful? Let's all believe in Carl Jung. Yes, the new age is coming. Eye on. Yeah, it's happening again. The crap is being sold again, isn't it? Oh dear, how sad. Never mind. Read another book instead. Where did that come from? Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, probably not him, actually. Uh, I don't think it came from him. Well, maybe it did. Who knows? Welcome back, everybody, to Young to Live By. Today, we've got a double-pronged podcast in store for you. The first half, we start talking about how a man can prepare himself to receive the archetypal feminine. It's one of the most important things I think a man can do, and it's on the inside as well as on the outside. And, of course, the same is true for women as well, because... Well, we then go afterwards and talk into why this might be relevant, especially in today's culture, because, of course, we live in a time, and we have done for quite a while now, where gender dynamics aren't exactly optimum. Things aren't exactly flowing nicely. The, the yin and yang symbol, where men and women, masculinity and femininity, they're all in balance. It seems to be all over the place. Men don't know what they're doing. Women don't know what, what they're doing. The world is essentially a giant shit test at, at the moment. So we go from the, the Jungian psychodynamics we talk about on the channel a lot, potentially the, in the most useful way we've talked about so far, in my opinion anyway. And then we move into the, more of that cultural stuff. Um, Steve gets quite heated, Pauline gets quite heated, we touch on lots of topics, including NoFap, including pickup, including you know, club culture, sex culture, the whole shebang, the whole thing. It's wonderful, it's great fun. So I'm going to start by asking Steve in the past a comment which we received on YouTube very recently. It goes like this. We can't make the alchemical union on the inside if we don't prepare our own masculinity to receive the archetypal feminine. Can you please comment on how one can go about doing this? That was a very uh, helpful comment and observation. And in this sense, then, it's worthwhile for us as men to understand the animus. And that's a worked example of how important that is, because there is a correlation, although it's not a direct one as such, a correlation between the animus inside a woman's psyche and our own innate masculinity. That correlation is more of a resonance than an exact correlation. So we can learn as men from the way that women experience the animus about how the genome broadly of the entire human species intends us to fulfill ourselves in relation to the feminine. So yeah, that's a very, very helpful comment. Do you have a view on that, Liz? Well, I, I see it as a reciprocal thing, obviously, because mm. we're thinking in, in terms of relationships. Yeah. So in, in, in the same way that as you say, men have to prepare themselves to receive the feminine. So do mm. women have to prepare themselves to receive yeah. the masculine, that, that which is other to them? Yeah. And um, none of us really start off particularly conscious of that, no. of that process or that connection to the opposite. So particularly for women, I think um, men certainly at the beginning can appear to, to be 
mysterious or difficult to understand or maybe even frightening or threatening in some way. I mean, you see these themes played out in, in myths and fairy yeah. tales and, um, you know, in, in, in the culture at large. So they're, they're the common themes, the common experiences. Yeah. So I, I, I would say they're the kinds of things that... Um, for women, they have to get to grips with if they're going to have real and meaningful relationships without a man. Yeah, and I guess that's uh, the significance really that Von Hess figure in an, um, a top tier level with respect to the narrative and, and the women. It's not just Lilith he interacts with, it's all pretty much all of the women yes. in the story, yes. uh, including the birth scene in the 17th century as well, which is uh, quite a dramatic scene if you follow it through. But he encounters a number of women there, including the midwife, the elderly midwife, who is a kind of a, a borderline figure between being a Christian and being a pagan, somebody who knows the mysteries of birth. And then there's the birth mother herself as well, who gives birth to this female child. Uh, and this is during a battle, isn't it? A, yes. a, a, an intense fight, a historical battle that actually killed off more people as a percentage of the population of the city of Liverpool. Than did the Blitz, the bombing in the Second World War. Not overall, but in terms of a percentage of the population, it was mm. pretty much a running battle and a massacre. Um, and it's set at that time. And uh, von Hess, as the Bavarian, a mercenary um, soldier in service of Prince Rufus of the Rhine, burst into this room where a female child is being given birth to, strikes down the father. He's already expended his one shot and his pistol and blown the head off a young lad who tried to protect the birthing room. So it's quite clear in the story that this man is extremely dangerous. Uh, clubs then with the butt end of his pistol, the child's father to the ground, but doesn't harm him further because he notices that he wasn't armed. So you can see that there's an element of decision in this man about how much violence he uses. He uses violence when it's necessary, but he's there for another purpose. And he takes the child away from the mother, <clears throat> albeit through the medium, if you like, of the uh, the midwife. And he passes some soil from a little pouch into the child's mouth and says, Lilith, it is you. He's recognised the child. This is a child who has not yet taken of its mother's milk which in the story is, is highly significant. And he passes Lilith's birth soil into the child's mouth, displaces the soul of that child as such, and puts Lilith's soul into the body of the child and returns it to the birth mother. Now, you'd need to read the story to understand the full drama and the significance of that, but already it's alchemical. And you're getting uh, an understanding of this man there because the mother is grateful for the mercy that he didn't kill everybody in the room. Uh, and he says that, I'll grant you that your life and, and your child's life, but my wish is that you name the child as I instruct, and that the name of the child shall be Lilith, in remembrance of my mercy. And that's how the story unfolds. So immediately he's impressed himself upon the women. He's killed one young man. He's clubbed down the father of the child. He's expressed mercy to the women, but displaced the soul of the baby. They don't know what, what's going on. They just see this little this little mm. pouch and then this powder pass into the child's mouth. And then, as if in baptism, he says, Lilith, it is you. In echo of what Adam had said in Eden when he first encountered her. 
So you see the animus then, violent but protective, but at the same time, in essence, fertilizing or refertilizing the birth of a female child with another soul or another spirit. And in this sense, a very special kind of spirit that represented the, the, the feminine platonic form as Lilith. So, yeah, he is one heck of a character. Von Hess of a character, one might say, by pun. So, yeah, there you have it. This is how he makes his entry in the novel, because he's not there in Eden. He does have a backstory, though, which first appears in the second instalment of the story. Any comments on that, James? You've read it, haven't you? Yes, yes. It, it is that line which you just said there, which I don't think should be sort of uh, fly un under the radar and all the things that you're saying, because there's like so much value packed into there. You say that the, the animus is the one that breathes a new soul into a woman. Is that right? Yeah, he passes the soul through, which is, which is uh, Lilith's birth soil, which when she instantiates in Eden and passes through it, then it is, in effect, alchemically changed and it becomes her blood soil. It's only a, a particular area. It's not the entire garden. It's just where she appears and alters it. So it's alchemy immediately. And that's her blood red soil. That's sacred. And there's only a certain amount of it, of course, and it has to be protected. <clears throat> In the story, if something happens to Lilith's physical form, she can be reanimated and brought back into matter by passing that alchemically transformed soil into the body of a newborn child. But it must be before she's taken her mother's milk. And then it displaces that, that child's spirit and Lilith will be instantiated again. But she has to go through the normal maturation process. So, in effect, Von Hess disappears for a number of years and then returns in disguise so he can pick up basically Lilith as she's about to fully realize who she is as she becomes fully conscious of herself and as her latent powers in terms of her own lifespan development start to emerge so her far memory then comes through the structure of that child the remembrance of the pleroma and of Eden and of who she really is and of her animus to use that term in this context, against Eve and against all who have been issued forth from Eve's womb. So, in that sense, he is perfectly positioned to act as the archetypal animus. And the drama's acted out there in front of the midwife. The midwife recognises him when, when, when he comes back, that he was that Bavarian from all of those years ago. And of course, he just dismisses it. You know, he's just, just a doctor. Dr. Maximilian von Hess of Bavaria, and he's an alchemist and a medical practitioner, and he's just returned to the city to set up practice there. But of course, he's really there <clears throat> to present himself to Lilith because she's just on the cusp of remembering who she is and what her goal and purpose is. So, you, again, in, even in the 17th century part of the story, which we haven't discussed thus far, you do see the evolution of the animus then. Also, the father's still alive too, and he has no memory except that he was he was hit <clears> over the head, and some Bavarian came in during this massacre and saved his family on condition that a child be named after his wish, and his wish was that it should be called Lilith in remembrance of his mercy. But of course, Lilith has no mercy in her at all for the descendants of Eve. That's not what she's there for. So, highly significant. In the context of the narrative, again, then, he had to find the right child under the right circumstances. That was in Von Hesse's gift. 
So it was by chance, if you like, he just happened to be there at that time for the birth of that child. <coughs> but he took notice of how that had unfolded. Otherwise, he probably just killed everyone because that was his role. He, he was a mercenary, he was a paid soldier in service of Prince Rupert of the Rhine, the nephew of King Charles I of England during the English Civil War. And if you think of it, a neurosis is a kind of civil war. So he came in, into a division, metaphorically in the psyche, and reintroduced this archetypal feminine spirit, planted it, and then returned later as it evolved over lifespan development to a point where it was ready to emerge. And it, that in itself is archetypally and mythologically significant in that context. Mm. Is there is there a significance to him coming along just as the child is born then? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So you had a female midwife there who was a wise woman, uh, the, the kind of woman in, in those days that existed on the periphery of Christianity, who knew the, the mysteries of childbirth, knew the old ways, who would have been called a witch. And, of course, she was taking a risk, really, because this was in Puritan times, and it was a Puritan family. Uh, they were very fundamentalist, as are their descendants in our day today, you, you might say, the, the, those Christians who believe it, in uh, Christianity in that particular way. They would think that, that she was a bit iffy, and yet they would call upon a woman like her who understood the mysteries of childbirth to be the midwife and to care for the child and the mother and to exclude the father. The reason the father went there, though, was, is be and he shouldn't have done, he should, have, he should have been outside, was that he was a conscientious objector. He backed away from the emergency of the moment which was the siege of the city, and it was invested at night. And as he backed away under the pressure of his Christian mm. conscience, a young boy took his place and was killed, which also struck into him because he failed as a man. And then he also broke the boundary, the sanctity of the room, because he went in to the room just as his daughter was being born. And Von Hess was coming up the stairs after him, having expended his one bullet and he used the club end of, of his pistol to, to hit him and would have killed him outright <clears throat> further, should we say, to the blow that he gave him, uh, except for the fact that he saw he was unarmed. He only shot the boy because the boy was going to shoot him. But in that moment, that, that boy was more of a man than Lilith's birth father. Um, so what we're getting there is an indication of the struggles that we go through as men. Do we live up to the archetype ourselves? How do we face an extreme emergency? And then to bring those elements together, such as the birth of a child and the importance of that and the fact that we've broken into that boundary, into the birthing room, where there's only the mother, the child being born and the midwife, who is this almost transcendent figure who's not quite not quite one of them as a feminine principle an older one the wise old woman if you like but someone who, in, who includes knowledge of the mysteries therefore outside of the belief system of that family and then this intruder comes in who appears to be only a murderous man <clears throat> and that's that that's so common intracyclically yeah. for women in their dreams and the fantasies you mm. see over and over again this this dark intruder that penetrates their, their dreams and their fantasies yeah. so it, it's completely and utterly concurrent with that of women's experience of the masculine in that way yeah. 
and and the, there's all that negotiation that needs to go on too with with that dark character mm. uh, in the same way that almost a deal was struck in the birthing room yes and uh, like i say it's it's it, it's so um it, it just it, it impacts me every time i i hear that because if you, for example, you look at um, Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With The Walls, mm. there's so much in that about initiation for women yeah. um, and um, the dark man in dreams mm. and, and the appearance of him um, and uh, why he's there. Mm. Um, and, and like you say, to even the midwife, that idea of, of giving birth and, and almost giving birth to the, the truth as well, yeah. which could be analogous with consciousness and uh, coming to consciousness. Yes. And understanding these dark forces so yeah. whilst it's a, a story and, and an outer drama it's also an intra psychic drama for women too yeah thank you and, and that, that's as it was written and that, that's a, an excellent perspective that only a woman who was also a mother and who's gone through that uh, could probably give a, a proper angle on and the, the midwife was definitely an intermediary character uh, she turned what would have been a murderous situation into something else by her intercession yes. with Von Hess. Yes, that's it so important. It gave Von Hess time to assess what was going on. Mm. Mm. Uh, he'd, already, he'd acted to effectively subdue the father and in essence replaced him, if you think about it, by rendering him unconscious, but didn't kill him. Unconscious. Then he's in the room, the birthing room, which you could call an alchemical vase or vessel, where mm. these elements are mixing. He has the final ingredients in that moment, which is Lilith's birth soil. He identifies the father. He says to the midwife, be he the child's father. And she confirms that. And it was, he was unarmed. So therefore, he looks down and he, in a moment of mercy, no further action needs to be taken against him. He has been rendered unconscious. That makes him the dominant and only masculine elements in that vast, that birthing room at that moment. Mm -hmm. The midwife had already approached him uh, and basically said, you know, would you slaughter a, a young woman at the moment of birth? Are you such a barbarian? And to say that to a man like him, who yes. in his mind represents a, a transcendent aspect of culture, caused him to pause and to consider, no, I'm not such a barbarian, I'm here for a purpose. Mm. And having identified the child, the newborn child, as a, as a daughter, he quickly assesses the whole situation. This was meant to happen. And he, he takes the child from the mother. The mother gets distressed. But the midwife calms her. She understands there's something vitally important going on there. Mm. And in effect then, he becomes the male, the masculine midwife that passes the archetypal feminine into that newborn female child. Of course, that child's actual soul has been displaced or perhaps just contained within Lilith because Lilith is the archetypal whole, the archetypal potential of all, all all the feminine qualities so in essence then that child has been displaced but not completely more absorbed or even metabolized into the archetype within its within the physical form of the child mm. then once he understands that the situation is fine he says I will protect you for as long as our occupation of the city lasts no further harm will come to you or your family and of course women instinctively in a moment like that will say yes 
They'll say yes because they're safe, the child's safe, the husband hasn't been murdered. Well, he's no yeah. longer an enemy, Von Hess. He's no, no, he's been transformed. Yes. Himself. And and we all, we, mm. women do this. They mm. make an enemy of that dark force within, of that dark intruder. Yeah. But the, I think the, the salient point there, Steve, for women, is that the, the midwife is the developed woman in the room. Yes. She's the one who's psychologically developed. And in a way, yes. it takes her to stand up to Von Hess's strength. Yes. And and that's that's an important part of yeah. that for women really that you don't you don't try yeah. and match a man like that yeah through and your own animus no, as such or no. by being an animacy woman no. you do it through your strength as a woman and i learned that from you i learned that which is why it's in the book i mean i've I, obviously i've seen how pauline's developed and dealt with so much in her life uh, and i i have absorbed that into my own unconscious where it's blended with this imago latently of Von Hess and the masculine element and that's how I was able to write that scene with authenticity and that's why it's important for the masculine to understand the feminine and for the feminine to understand the masculine yes. and then you get this synthesis of the two which can produce the impression of an archetypal situation like that mm. because in the story Von Hess has to withdraw then after the occupation of the city lasts and the English Civil War goes on to its conclusion and he comes back, I think it's in the story, it's actually 20 years later, it's a long time, he's not aged of course because he's already alchemically altered and he is an archetype and archetypes are ageless mm. but, but he comes back to claim Lilith because he knows by now she will be ready, she would have already developed some consciousness of herself and in fact she has she started to create mischief around the town amongst the the, the puritans um, and that's quite powerful how that's done um, in terms of appearing in their dreams um, uh, fascinating the men as well she is different she's very very different and her father is very protective her biological father very very protective of her because he he knows even if not consciously insofar as he would articulate it he knows instinctively that she is on the edge of acceptance by that culture and that at a moment's notice she could be branded as being some kind of a witch and he's even considering moving the family over to the colonies in america to escape the potential damage that lilith will cause to herself by her willful spirit that's breaking the boundaries of the christian society within which they live but lilith is frivolous and she's acting out in the same way that she did in Eden as well. So she needs her Von Hess to come back at this point and get her ready for her necessary transformation. So that sets the stage for what happens in the 17th century and her encounter with the latest version of Adam and also the witch finder as well, the other dark side of the animus who's trying to hunt her down and is therefore in opposition to <laughs> Von Hess and his two henchmen who he brings along with him whose purpose is to protect her and nurture her so even the animus itself can can fall into conflict within itself as a structure but you need to see this as a woman's psyche unfolding at that point it's the perspective of Lilith and the the, the side of the archetypal animus represented by the witch finder and his henchmen versus the side that is protecting and nurturing her both are dangerous both are very dangerous and how is she going to handle that in relationship to the world and her need then to reproduce and to fulfill herself and that's the the main thrust if you like of the story in the 17th century but the allegory is strong 
in terms of the relationship of, of women to the animus, but also the men in the story, the many men who are in that story, how they deal with the anima when it's on that level, and how they deal with other men, how they deal with the shadow of masculinity within themselves and collectively. So as Paul was saying last time, it's a, it's a drama of many, many people unfolding, and life is like that. Yeah. We, we all have a context that's full of many mm. other people who are all at different levels of development at different times. Mm. There is a competitive element to that on the outside, but also on the inside. And on the outside is not just with men, it's from us towards women and from women towards us. It's a constant alchemical process that unfolds with many a thing going wrong along the way. Yeah, I think, um, and, and we were talking a little bit about this with, with um, James yesterday, um, mm. that in, in real life, for, for real men and women, their anima or the animus is of, often divided mm. or, or spread out or projected on to several people. Um, and, um, you know, we were talking, weren't we, James, about, well, you know, you might find um, a young woman who is bright and intelligent and um, is apparently, you know, getting on okay in the world, and yet she's stuck with somebody who, I, I think your expression was like a troll in the basement, um, <laughs> who has money but doesn't have an awful lot else about him, and, and, and why she would she even hang out with somebody like that? But then that particular person we know is isn't just content with um, having that that particular relationship to that man, but has relationships to other men too, who who obviously sustain her in other ways. So that that was just one example of how the animus can be divided and be divided mm. among several men. Um, and of course, you get the same with the anima too. That mm. um, well, we saw that with with Young for example, and yeah. that he, he was, for whatever reason, unable to um, commit fully to Emma, yeah. uh, and he, he projected onto other women within his circle. So mm. I think in everyday life we, we get these scenarios. It, it isn't clean cut. It isn't no. an all or nothing situation where necessarily, you know, um, one man comes along, particular man for a woman, and, and he embodies everything. Um, I mean, it can happen, but most Mostly, probably, it doesn't happen. And how how do we deal with that? How how do we, you know, in terms of our relationships and, and our our happiness and uh, what we want for ourselves for the future? How do we negotiate all of that? I mean, these are real life questions, yes, conundrums that mm. we all face. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking there, just just quickly about the seventeenth century thing, um, and and indeed, as you were saying, Pauline, about the um, the idea of say a woman might having might have a divided animus, and then of course you've got to you've got to bring in the idea of the father into that as well, because obviously the father is a huge influence on um, a, a woman's animus. Uh, I've been I've asked before because I did a hint about this before in like ages and ages and ages ago about the the video game Bioshock Infinite. Um, and to do a, to do an analysis on that, because it's one of those video games that clearly transcends being a video game and becomes something else. It's, it's the writing in it is stellar. Um, if you, if you want to un understand that video game, anyone who's played that, and in which case, fantastic if you have that 17th century scene with that with the young the young Lilith, and then nurturing her as she's growing older. Anyone who's played the game will know exactly what I mean. That will that will explain the story for you. Um, but I, I just want to bring things practical as well for a second where, um, you know, Steve, you were saying a man has to prepare himself to receive the archetypal feminine and then vice versa for a woman. 
and maybe it's just the spheres I used to hang around with, maybe it's the current audience, but one of the worst things you could say to, say, a young man to, to immediately get their back up is prepare yourself to receive the archetypal feminine. It's one of those things that just bounces off and then they go, what? What the hell are you talking about? I've got to be more of a manly, manly man. You know, there is no, there is no inner, inner, well, there is no inner woman anyway, you know. But what the hell does that really mean? So how, how would one prepare themselves to receive such a thing? Is it inner work that they must do or is it through relating to a woman? or to a man? Is it that spontaneous process? Or is it something someone listening to this could do right now, if that sounds like a foreign phrase? Which I imagine to many people it would be. It could be, it could be done now. It could be done at any time. It's a matter of consciousness. It's literally just a matter of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And whether that consciousness is being determined by your peer group, uh, or your genomic release, if you like, your timed release of your developments, or some mixture of both because we're not in charge of ourselves we don't determine what we what we're born with with, with our a priori characteristics we're not they're already there and then we interact with the environment and you get a resultant in effect which is us but the key is consciousness if a very young man even on, on the, the verge of being a teenager can have the the foresight to understand how things are going to develop for himself and then begin to prepare. He can do it even at that age. He can. Mm. It's unlikely though, because his biological pressure at that age will be pushing him more towards the peer group. And that's on the side of the species as a whole that young men will do that. They will bond together in groups. They will basically become soldiers or, or, or the pool from which the, the the group the tribe as a whole can can draw on the physical resources to to protect itself as a whole from if that is sustained then reproduction then starts to starts to appear as being important as well so you get this this transition which is typical of the adolescent phase of transition which can go on it can carry on if it's not resolved properly into the 20s 30s or even beyond where the peer group and, and basic unipolar masculinity is overemphasized. It's only overemphasized if it goes on too long. If it's in a specific context, like I say, protecting the tribe or the group from others who would take your resources, including your women, from you, then that, that's entirely appropriate. If that goes on too long, though, it's not good. It's not good for the group. So the pressures change. Um, it's it's different we've we've witnessed how different this culture is now to how it was say 40 years ago mm. it is really different the challenges young men and young women face now are very 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 different it's not good no. it really isn't good because on an instinctive level people are going to feel there's something wrong and that will mess everything up for them so to tackle it it's going to have to be down to consciousness you have to become aware really really aware mm -hmm. and by being aware of preparing yourself to receive the archetypal feminine you will enhance your masculinity you will not diminish it the thing about von hess or one of the things about him as a character is that he is completely ready to receive the archetypal feminine because he's accomplished in so many ways it's just that he's focused only on one woman but a man like that, who was that complete, could pretty much compete for any woman. Mm. 
you would have everything the complete package so in that sense take that as an archetypal attractor by attractor i mean something that draws you towards it to get an impression of what you might need to develop in order to be able to attract women and that will include the, the strength of character the depth of character uh, the, the capacity to relate is really really important if young men display they're very often a displaying in competition with other men rather than necessarily to draw a woman towards them mm. so your relating skills get that in order get that in order. that's usually the missing link and that's the anima the relating function you, you get that right so you can relate to your own unconscious then you are prepared to receive femininity from a woman and she will feel that it is being received and honoured. So if she has had a, a path that's been twisted and distorted, say by this present culture and this present zeitgeist within which they flourish, they'll find a man who can draw that out from them in a meaningful way and they can complete themselves mm. instinctively mm. rather than be conditioned by this transient, we hope, culture within which we live at the moment. So you have a role, guys, to prepare women to become themselves through relationship. Of course, mm. it goes both ways, mm. but somebody has to move first. If you sit around and wait, you might miss the bus, you know? Prepare yourself on the inside and don't just pump yourself up on weights and go all hyper-masculine because you'll end up just getting into conflict with other men who are also unactualized instinctively. You'll default back to one part of the primitive archetype and you'll just end up in conflict with other men. You won't actually get the women. Well, women are starting to become more attracted to hyper-masculine men. I don't yeah. necessarily mean physically mm. masculine in the way that you've just described, yeah. the pumping up on weights and so it's on. It's a part of it. But though. it's a yeah. part of it, mm. yeah. Um, and so, and, and it, I think it's partly of their own creation, to yeah, be yeah. honest with you, because yeah. it, this tendency not to develop yourself or to let the animus run the show and to just yeah. try and, and, and bully outer men yeah. creates its opposite. It does. It does. It does and, indeed. And and it is. It is. You do notice it now in the culture more than ever. Yeah. That 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 shift is occurring as if mm. they're looking to redress something in themselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're going to default more towards instinct, and this will be unconsciously. So as they uh, lose their femininity, mm. they're either going to be attracted to, did I say, it, wimps? Yes. Because they can bully them. Yeah, they can just work yeah. out on Just work them. out yeah. on There's them. There's your troll in the basement, by the way, just, yeah. just to yeah. bring that in. Which means yeah. their animus will just beat them up yes. psychologically and psychosocially. Yeah. Or they'll they'll be drawn towards the fantasy of your basic archetypal man. And then the relationship between the sexes will boil down to something that doesn't involve relating at all, mm. but literally paired opposition on a biological level. Yes. And you might get reproduction out of that or at least reproductive behavior without the consequences of this so there won't be any children particularly there will be a lot of uh, promiscuity uh, and uh, overamped bipolar masculinity and femininity yes. Yes. but if you put somebody into the mix who has a bit of that but is also developed and has an intellect and has a spiritual side and is creative and can drive themselves towards obtaining resources because of their intelligence and their adaptability, that guy will stand out mm. massively in, in the crowd mm. of um, guys who just pump themselves up on weights and grow beards and things like that. What are you just saying about me? As a, an exaggerated <laughs> gender signal, as Desmond Morris would have called it, mm. which is just, just making a polarity. Mm. Um, it will have some consequences, but if, if women lose touch with their 
instinctive and archetypal identity mm. then you need to attract them in a different way mm. than just being something to be hated to be competed with because their animus will try and compete oh it will and it's happening isn't it, it it's it happening is. in the culture now it is the, so the solution for women is really very simple and that's to become strong women yes and not pseudo men yeah uh, and, and and sadly there's been a shift in that direction where yeah. you know women have been conditioned you know by their mothers to some extent and, mm. and also by the culture to feel that actually that they're, they're better than yeah. boys they're better than yeah. men i mean this is this is suggested to mm. them all the time as they're going through school and, and, and into university that um they should you know you get beyond um seeing one another as being equal and, and actually striving for dominance yeah. um, and I think in doing so they've made themselves very unhappy along the way. They have, this is shit testing um, raised to the power of several tens, you know, one and several noughts yeah. after it. it is really over amping shit testing mm. uh, and it's understandable in the face of that that a lot of young men will fall back on the on the ideal, the apparent ideal of the uber masculine man uh, in an attempt to assert their own gender identity uh, and instinctive identity and the rest of it. But that is not to relate. No. That's not to relate. But you don't relate by being a wimp either. You've got to relate through a different kind of bandwidth of masculine traits in your nature. That's the best way because that will show there are options to the women. Mm. That will say, oh, wow, whoa, what's going on here? Suddenly you difference. tick more of the boxes. You'll tick more of the boxes, the instinctive boxes, the uh, the yeah. virtual image boxes, as Jung yes. would have called it, with respect to the biological and inherited anticipation of the bandwidth of the masculine. Um, but if you all uh, just become facsimiles of one another, all look the same, all act the same, and uh, all go into nofap and all the rest of it, you know, and... and strange breathing exercises and all, all these other things that people go into it's you're just going to make a caricature of yourself <clears throat> put yourself into one category which can be rejected on mass yeah which is happening yeah the this the shit testing thing is so interesting because it's like political based shit testing these days I've seen it so many times and it's like and, and it, the guy the guys always end up complaining so okay a bunch of girls will come up and and they'll be like oh what you don't believe this particular set of political ideals you're you're a bad person what's wrong with you uh, uh, uh. and then the guys come away or lots of them come away and go well there's no hope for me as a man in the modern world and it's like no 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 you've just failed the shit test my friend like, if you actually stand up for yourself you will stand out from the crowd you will yeah. like the, like the midwife to von hess yeah that that's a relationship of equals oh yeah you recognize you recognize in her yeah. an aspect of the feminine which was essential for that moment to make it transformative and he accepted the communication the bridge between the birth mother the child the husband who he'd rendered unconscious think about that symbolically yes. what that would mean mm. whilst he displaced the father mm. and accepted the gift if you like of agreement from the midwife that he can take the child and pass over that soil you know if the the, the two fundamental biological genders not, not talking about socially constructed uh, options on gender if, if they can get in touch with their instincts then the alchemy will issue forth mm. but but don't become a stereotype rather than an archetype you this generation of young lads the future's yours but you're being turned into stereotypes 
please don't do that. It, it, it was a real, you know, I'm like 16 years old, science nerd, sitting there with, with my best bud, and we're like, okay, how do we get the ladies? And um, we're like, well, we, we've got to become big, strong bodybuilder type guys. Um, and we both actually started doing that a little bit. And we both started hanging out with other guys who were like that. We realized it didn't make a scrap of difference whatsoever. Like, like, you go, like talking to girls as well, I've, you know, it was almost like a weird beating myself up exercise around that age. And I was like, do you, do you fancy this guy? Do you fancy this guy? I was just obnoxious as hell. They're like, no. Like, what about this guy? No. What about this guy? No. And they're all just like these bodybuilders. Handsome face. Yes. Big, strong physique. No. And it, it seems to be much more of that mysterious nature to a guy that makes them stand out, but not overtly beating the crap out of other men for the attention of women. That makes that makes a guy naturally stand out. And it's not something you can fake either, which is another thing. That's the psychopomp elements of uh, of the animus, which we as men experience mm. in the anima as well. So uh, again, if if you understand uh, the anima. You need to understand the animus to see how that alchemy will work. Yeah, which is which is much different than studying how other men in competing for women behave. So, so th there's a difference between understanding the animus and competing in those spheres online, which is like where well, you've got to make sure that you escape your nine to five and start hustling. You've got to make sure you've got your muscles and your beard and, and you can do pickup and you can do, you know, lo loads of different things. No, it, it doesn't work. Like, like both observing and from experience, it doesn't work. What you catch depends on what pond you're fishing as well. So, you know, mm. there's an awful lot of that. If you're looking for a partner, then where you look will de determine what you find. Yeah. Or you'll be lucky uh, or not lucky, it, it's opportunistic. But if you want to maximise yourself and you turn yourself into, as I say, a stereotype rather than an archetype, then expect a stereotypical response because that's what you'll get. Mm. You need a bandwidth. Yeah, of course, be athletic. That's part of being young. And your own genome will be telling you to do that because you need to be able to physically compete because you're meant to be the warriors as well. You're meant to be the soldiers. You're meant to be the builders. But you're also meant to have a psyche, have a mind, have an intellect, have vision, have goals, have creativity. And from that broad mix, you can alchemically distill within yourself from your own potential what you should be. Then you'll, you'll begin to draw people to you because you'll be interesting as opposed to just a flatline NPC man, which can happen. And you need to be careful with this nofap stuff as well. You really do because that can become a perversion of instincts mm. and a suppression of instinct and of libido and of energy and uh, a neurotic investment into beliefs about it as, as opposed to utilizing the fact that you're a young man and you're powered by libido in order to go out and actualize yourself into the world. And yes, you, you or whoever, not you James, but may have been uh, fapping and using porn and the internet and all the rest of it. Well, there's nothing wrong with the fap, but the use of porn and the internet are not good ways of relating. Separate the two, nothing wrong with fap, what you do with the FAP or what you do with the libido behind the FAP is the key. It's as simple as that. Get in touch with your instincts. Marshal that libido in for your own development. You will then give off the right energy. It's mm. all about that. It's, it's an information and energetic field that you emit that attracts people or doesn't. 
Don't turn yourself into a generic non-playable character who is a stereotype of flatline masculinity that can be rejected as a broad-based category. Don't do that. Understand the animus. Not the animus that's emitted at you in this present culture because that's one-sided. It's been, as you said, politically shaped it in has. its current mm. zeitgeist. Yeah. It doesn't really reflect the totality of a woman's expectation of the masculine. It reflects how it's been conditioned. To get past that, you have to offer more. If you offer a confirmation of that, you're asking for yourself to be rejected. You need to mm. offer more. You need to be able to get round what's emitted at you. And what's emitted, of course, is shit testing, but it's in this context of this generation, what you guys are going through right now, mm -hmm. that is your task to solve that riddle. To do that, you have to understand women, but not on the surface, because a lot of them are very confused and don't know what they're doing themselves. No, a lot of them are, are in a right mess. Yeah, in changing yourself, you'll change women. Yeah, it's just alchemy. Like, just like the example yeah. we gave yesterday, as a, a guy and his wife, and in, in that moment, in that it, moment there was yeah. a bit of alchemy done. So, yeah. so the guys can have an effect. Yeah, definitely. There's no doubt. Definitely. Yeah. And if you make yourself a caricature, you'll be drawn to another caricature to confirm through confirmation bias that what you've done was the right thing when it wasn't. And then all you'll get is someone else who is damaged meeting you who is damaged potentially and then you'll cross an effect and you'll bring both of you down together that's not a constructive way to build a future for yourself and a partner or for a future for the culture or society mm -hmm. or the gene pool broadly yeah. so understand women understand yourself engage with the feminine in spite of how they appear to you Yes, model that as shit testing, and it is, and it's shit testing through the filter of the current zeitgeist. But behind that, there is a bigger woman, and there's bigger human nature, bigger femininity. And if, if you can develop an understanding of that, they will seek that out from you in order to actualize it within themselves, and it'll be unconscious. Mm. They, they, they won't know why, but they'll be very, very attracted to you, because you will be bringing this out through relationship to them. So don't, don't turn yourself through a kind of pseudo-alchemy into the very thing that they will reject because it will confirm to them what they've been conditioned by this present culture to believe is something that should be rejected. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important not to turn away from the task, mm. really, isn't yeah. it? But to actually square up to it. Yes. Because, of course, the, the culture is the family of the family. Yes. And, and these guys, like you, you rightly say, Steve, in, in changing themselves, they will change the culture eventually. Yeah, absolutely. They will over time. Absolutely. It will have an effect. It's not going to be easy. It really isn't going to be easy. This generation has got a task like probably no mm. other has had before. Mm. I mean, my parents' and grandparents' generation went through the two world wars, unimaginable what they had to go through. But you guys are going through something completely different. The war that's being waged at the moment is one that is so fundamental to your biological identity. It's, uh, it's really, really bad. You need to draw on that in the right way and don't just overcompensate and actually create the thing that will be rejected. Mm. That's the danger at the moment. If you can do that, you will be able to resist what's going on politically at uh, you know uh, uh, the level of uh, subculture culture and the nation state globally mm. at the moment mm. because there'll be such a mismatch between what women observe and what they've been conditioned by this malignant culture to expect that they will reject the culture they will they will devolve back down 
will resolve back down into instinct and then you'll be able to make these higher system level order changes efficiently just don't fall into the trap of, of um, becoming what they want you to be yeah. negatively because mm. that's the outcome of shit testing if you're not careful be clever guys yes von hess is clever von hess is clever <laughs> very very that, that's the whole point of it yes, that's why it he survived is. yeah survived many centuries many different forms of adaptation yeah resolve down become very focused focused on the outside on the inside is very broad he resolves down into focus for the task develop yourself on the inside resolve down into focus for the task don't resolve down on the inside so you become narrow mm. because you, you'll 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 just be consigned to the bin i'm afraid that's how reducing this dynamic is at the moment for young men yeah. they're being asked to reduce themselves down so they are not reproductively viable they're not socially yeah. viable their identity is being eliminated if you go along with it even by apparently resisting it by over amping your masculinity in a very narrow way you just it's just confirmation you're bias it, you're still you? falling being for it get clever about it mm. access your instincts in the widest sense mm. not just in that primitive paleo-human sense because that's what they want to reject. You're becoming what they want to reject. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Can I ask you um, to just broadly comment on the topic of sex, actually? Because I don't know how relevant this is, sincerely, actually, to, to your two's generation. But for mine, having gone to three universities now and knowing the prevalence of the club scene and the bar scene and everything else like, like that, there does seem to be a distinct difference between the instinct or a divide between the instinct to we'll say have sex or reproduce which is you know a conscious divide between that within within people and the desire to develop slash engage in a relationship with somebody because a woman will sleep with a man but not necessarily want to carry on a relationship with him is is that something that's potentially relevant to this conversation broadly to do with how the animus might play into that dynamic yeah it, it will um well, having sex and relating aren't the same thing. No. Necessarily, no. are they? They can be. They can yeah. be. They can be. Yeah. yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you yeah. st I think by just defining those terms, James, it, it appears to be suggesting that you know it's kind of okay to have sex and be promiscuous and somehow you know that will do the job that you're out there having relationships which of course you're not not really no i mean there's there's a fundamental instinct there that's being overamped yeah um and that is a conscious choice that you can make mm. you you can you, we're under instinctive pressure all the time but the reason we have an ego or an ego in a conscious sense is to act as an executive interface between instincts and between culture and society the environment broadly in terms of survival that's the adaptive purpose of being as conscious as we are if you surrender consciousness and over amp one particular instinct or a couple of them uh, then you are not adapted if you think about it that's going to reduce fertility in the long run it's going to increase the the possibility and it is happening of sexually transmitted diseases yeah. it will break down uh, the family as a unit and wherever people think about families the option to not have them is not as good as even with all its problems of having a family it breaks everything down it's a catabolic decline by over amping one instinct 
or yeah. two or however you want to conceive of those instincts suppressing the others and lowering consciousness yes yeah, so it, it has a, to be conscious engagement yeah, with them doesn't it's, it's it? a general biopsychosocial dysfunction at all levels yeah. that's what you're seeing now mm. so obviously i mean we, we, we were young in the 60s you know during the sexual revolution uh, and in the hippie phase, where, where all your psychedelics started to, to kick off and all the drug taking, and mm. so there was a lot of that kind of thing going on then, but it is different now. It's different. There's a different ambience. The hippies were uh, blessed and meant well, but they were immensely naive, consciously. Mm. Uh, now, people don't seem to mean quite so well. There's a lot of destructiveness going around. Hippies talked about love, everything was going to be love. It's not about that now. The, the buzzwords hate. Hate is everywhere. Yeah. Hate is seen everywhere. Hate is a currency of exchange and power is the currency of exchange. But it, it, back in the 60s, everybody was supposed to love everybody else and everything would be wonderful. Of course, that wasn't going to work, but it was mm. less malignant than this. Mm. This is absolutely destructive from the top down. And, you know, you guys, this is your battle, this is your fight, this is where your heroism, the men and the women, the young men and the young women have to fight this battle. Otherwise, when you guys get into middle age or late middle age and look back on your life and look forward for what you've got left, you're probably going to wonder what went wrong during that phase where generically there was such a low level of consciousness that you were manipulated right across the board and instead of love and instead of procreation there was promiscuity and hate everywhere it's the dark side of the feminine it's, isn't it? it unfortunately it's, it's what happens when the dark side of the feminine runs rampant and uh, it brings out the inferior side of the masculine not even the dark side of it but the inferior side mm. the destructive side mm. the self-destructive side the self-neutering side the denial of instinct and even this no fat movement frankly my own personal view is it's like that there is nothing wrong with the expression of the libido so long as you don't harm anybody yes nothing mm -hmm. it's an instinct it's energy you need to engage that properly you really do no fap is just going to suppress you even more don't you realize you're being neutered mm -hmm. that's what this is all about you're being neutered mm -hmm. and you're doing it to yourself because you're agreeing with it you're going along you're not disagreeing yeah. it's with it not to be complicit isn't it yeah yeah, don't be complicit with it but also don't turn into an aggressive primitive man who goes out and attacks women and, and, and does all the things that they want you to do to be stimulated into doing that because that's what they want they want to suppress you so you, you divide and split and you either become a complete wimp or you become the very thing that they say that you are the monster that they're trying to make you yes. become either way it's lose-lose mm. find the middle path Find the totality of the bandwidth of your instincts as a man and develop them and move forward along that line. You'll get the balance there and you'll fulfill a broader bandwidth of your your wholeness. And by doing that, you will trigger that in women who will suddenly become very receptive to what they're experiencing. Mm. Don't give them the confirmation bias and don't give yourself the negative confirmation bias But either. to be fair to men, women have to develop themselves and they not do. make men into monsters. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so easy to do. It is, isn't it? It is. You know, when you feel attacked, you feel feel uh, as if you're being undermined on the inside, and you you just 
projected out and then yeah. the enemy is out there rather than within yeah. and so there's work yeah. for women to do as well there's, in there's, order there's, there's to allow huge that amount. to happen there is yeah yeah strange times mm. it's, the, it's the lady too yesterday i know that podcast hasn't come out yet the one we did yesterday mm. which, which essentially was a, a woman talking about masturbation yeah and looking for animation through it yeah. so whether it's that and she didn't in this particular case need porn in order to do that but that that like you say that engagement with libido mm. and understanding what the symbolic nature of that might be is far more helpful yeah. than yeah. denying somebody the expression of it yeah whether it's a man or a woman yeah i mean on, on that subject of, of masturbation thanks love but when we were well when i was young anyway a couple of years old and porn <laughs> uh, masturbation wasn't spoken about like it is now it's like it's normal but pathological at the same time yes now. when i was young it was you don't talk about it but everybody knew it went on yeah and then all that happened is that the energy that went into that then went into relationships mm. and it was considered that's what you do yes. it's something you get over and yes. then put it into a relationship that's right. but it's not normal so don't do it you'll go blind and, and crap like that which is what we were told when we were young don't do that you'll <laughs> go blind um, that didn't happen, by the way. I can still. I don't need glasses. Uh, I do use. So a you must have done it then. I use a magnifying glass, <laughs> but I don't use glasses. So anyway, I did, we didn't go blind, but in a way, metaphorically, and if you think about the Oedipal myth and how King Oedipus went blind, you guys are being turned blind now by the perversion of libido that's being suggested to you. Yeah, that that no fap at all, not mm. not nothing talk about it so it's like it's normal and then you're told it's abnormal now, what kind of a double bind trap is that for your libido and your energy because at least when we were young and it was like uh, don't do that but hey love everybody the hippies are here let's all take drugs and be happy and end the vietnam war and everything will be great the age of aquarius is coming with the new millennium and guess what carl jung said that too isn't that wonderful let's all believe in carl jung yes the new age is coming eye on yeah it's happening again the crap is being sold again isn't it oh dear how sad never mind read another book instead where did that come from jesus christ <laughs> I have no idea. Well, probably not him, actually. Uh, I don't think it came from him. Well, maybe it did. Who knows?